Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is where we share cutting edge strategies on acquiring leads and sales for your business through paid traffic. Paid traffic. That's what we say in the past, Kasim, but it's not really about paid traffic anymore as the last show, I think, sort of blowed that whole thing out of the water a bit. We're evolving. Yeah. yeah. We're evolving as just humans here. We're not just paid traffic machines. So we're here to help you grow your business, but acquire new customers and enhance their lifetime value. How about that? Maybe we should just change the tagline entirely. Yeah, I like that we're doing it live. Yeah, I think we are. We're just doing it right on the air here. Meetings for us. No, that's right. It's a straight red line as opposed yeah. to, a, yeah, like we're going right for it. So when it comes to customer acquisition and it comes to acquiring customers, we've talked about this a lot on this show, believe it or not. We actually have three or four episodes. I think this was in the pre Cosm days. It was mm, like, I don't like those yeah, days. BK before Cosm. Yeah. So, which we'll, which we'll leave links in the show notes for that before, before KA, BKA, because now it's like BCE, all that's mm. different sort of annotations now. But yeah, we'll leave links on that in the show notes because today we're going to be talking about how to actually make more money with less profit. That's the idea here, which is not something that I think a lot of online businesses really think about as they scale and grow. It's easy when you're first starting out and when you're small. Remember those days when you first start out, you had 60% profit margins. It was great. And then all of a sudden, as you got bigger, you had to add more staff and you have increased costs and all these other sorts of things. So we're going to talk about those sort of realities here today and how that relates back to traffic. Thoughts, concerns, comments, Kasim, on this highly non-traffic related topic here? I'm excited about having this episode just to send to people because I did this too as a business owner, but I think everybody pays attention to the early stage metrics that they're able to achieve and then they try to stick to them. Right. They become these like obsessive benchmarks in their mind. Look at, dude, if you look at massive organizations, they're making like 3% profit margins. I don't know, if you're reading like earnings reports and stuff, like they make effectively nothing on a percentage basis, but they do so much gross revenue that they're just minting money. Yeah. And I'm not advising that people head in that direction. But I do think it's worth integrating into your mind that as you grow, the efficiency factor of your organization changes. And I think that's what we're talking about here is just how to manage that change and how to account for it. Yeah. I mean, Tesla, for example, everyone knows Tesla and now they're actually a profitable company. For years, they weren't actually profitable, but their goal is a 20% net operating income. So mm -hmm. when I say profit or I say net operating income or net profit, that's like everything before taxes, amortization, all those sorts of things. A lot of people will call it EBITDA, earnings before interest taxes and amortization, although I always get confused with the amortization thing. Earnings before interest taxes, depreciation and amortization. With the D in there. That's yeah. right. Because yeah. sometimes it's called EBIT or yeah. it's EBITDA. 
So that's what we're talking about here. When we talk about everything that you're making, like what you're actually making after all your expenses, after your overhead, after your cost of goods sold, like all that sort of stuff. And that's really what kind of matters. That's the stuff that actually drives the business forward. And right. a company like Tesla right now is a 15% profit margin. Their goal is 20%, meaning that is like everything, all their costs out, probably before Musk's salary or whatever it happens to be. If you look over at Apple, Apple is one of those companies that a lot of people will say, geez, they must be making tons of actual cash. They have more cash on hand than any other company in history. Do like they have more cash on hand than the U.S. government. The U.S. There's government. A lot of cash. It's crazy. Yeah, it's unreal. And they're at a 24% net operating income hmm. as of their last earnings report. When all is said and done, we're going to be talking about that here today. So before we get into that, I think you have a, a spicy, tasty little nugget. I'm calling it the botched launch. We launched our book March 1st. So two days ago was the time of this recording. And dude, I did this insane media blitz, Ralph. I went to our entire list, all of our social channels. We ran a ton of ads, tens of thousands of dollars in ads. And we promised people they could buy the book. And it's a great big media book. Like it's a real book. It's the type of book you'd expect to pay 30 bucks for full color. And we told everybody you can get it for 99 cents. You can get the ebook for 99 cents one day only. And the scam here is you get all these people to opt in you launch it, everybody comes and buys it on that day, and you're instantly a number one bestseller. Right. And say what you will about the integrity of the system, I don't care. I'm not here to protect it. But the truth is when you become a bestseller, then your book sells. Mm -hmm. And so you have to get on the top of the list. And so that was the plan. And Absolutely. I've done it before, and I know that it works. Here's the problem. Our book is so damn big, the file size exceeds Amazon's limitations to list it for 99 cents. So I ran this weeks long promotion promising literally thousands of people they could buy my book for 99 cents. And the day before, the night before, when we go to launch, Amazon's sorry, lowest you can go is 299. So now I'm like, oh dear God, what do I do? And two bucks is two bucks, but every marketer knows marketing is relationship building. And if you promise somebody something for 99 cents and you don't deliver for 99 cents, you will, they will never trust you again. Oh so God. now I'm facing just this, there's just this catastrophe and we pulled an audible that I just wanted to get out of being a liar and a scam artist. And so we created a landing page and we emailed everybody and said, Hey, we told them exactly what happened. Amazon won't let us list this for 99 cents because the file size is too big. I made a big mm -hmm. value proposition there about how this is that good a book. So I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you the book for free. And they could fill out, they could fill out a form. They could download the, the PDF version of the book for free. And then on that page, I said, but if you want to buy it and you want to support us, here are links to Amazon. Now, here's what's interesting. I would have expected everybody who opted in to buy the book. Only in a normal circumstance, if I could have actually got them to the price to 99 cents. When I gave them the book, only a third of them actually purchased. So two-thirds downloaded the free book and then pieced me out. Mm -hmm. But here's what's crazy. And this is what I didn't expect. The amount of shares I got to that page, Ralph, was insane. The thing went viral on me. Like I got 20 times the social reach I would have got when I paid for traffic. And because I got that many shares, people came, they downloaded it for free, but about a third of them would go and they'd buy the book. And they're like, hey, we can kick you $3. This is, you know, we appreciate you doing this. And because it was a quote unquote botched launch and people smelled blood in the water, then it was this thing where it was very authentic, but it was like, oh, you can get this book that's not supposed to be free and you can get it for free because these guys screwed up. So if there's a way for you to manufacture the botch and run a botched launch, <laughs> your ability to reach people, I think, increases and the believability of some of the offers increase too. So for whatever that's worth and whatever realm of business you're in, 
go run yourself a botched launch. Cause dude, we like it. I was the number one in marketing and advertising, which are two of the hardest nonfiction categories in all of Amazon books. We beat out Alex Formosi. He's impossible to beat out. He's the smartest guy working right now. And it's because we just got this unbelievable boost from the fact that I screwed up and people like watching screw ups. So the fact that you screwed up and you were honest about it, really, it worked as a diabolical marketing strategy. Yeah. I didn't even know I was being diabolical, Ralph. But if you ever <laughs> see, if you follow something else I do and I accidentally make a whoopsie, now you're going to wonder. You're going to be like, I wonder if Costner hmm. just, yeah. I'm just wondering if you're like coming on the show here today and just telling Dude, it. That's like, how I got on perpetual traffic. I was yeah. trying to schedule for another podcast. Yeah. I just don't believe anything you say now, now that I know. <laughs> no, that's dramatic. No, it actually makes a lot of sense. So it, in essence, because of the botch launch, you ended up selling more of it, got to number one. What's the end goal when you're launching something on Amazon for the first time as a trying to become a bestseller? Like how long do you want to stay on top? What was the goal for you to get like one so I day wanted to be, or what was yeah, it? Yeah. My goal is always to be the number one in new release because mm -hmm. that's the easiest. But And we achieved that by 7 a.m. Because the botch launch pushed so much visibility, we didn't just get number one in new release. We got number one in advertising generally, like the category of advertising, all advertising books, all the greats, Seth Gogan and Ogilvy and, and like just people that sell hundreds of thousands of books. We were number one in advertising and number one in marketing. I bet you at the time of this recording, we're still there. We're at least in the top three, five. It's recalculated every single day, mm -hmm. but I never would have gotten that much visibility if it weren't for the botch. That's tremendous. I uh, was physical books. I would, did no, you sell any e physical? It was we all ebook. E it's all, so people bought the ebook and the physical book. I actually rank for the physical book too. We're in the top five, which is a mu again, much, much more competitive. I think we peaked at top three, but uh, we're selling the ebook and the physical book. And because the physical book is full color, it's a lot more expensive than a normal, like usually you pay 10 to 15 bucks a book. Ours is 30 because we print on demand through Amazon and it's about that to print and to ship. I, we don't make money on the books. I want mm -hmm. to be the name. I want to be the guy that wrote the book. So it all worked out perfectly in the yeah. end. At the end of the day. Did you, uh, did you outrank David Ogilvy and everyone Dude, like that? I was, I'll send you the screenshots. I was literally, I was the number one book in all of advertising, Ralph. Like the number one in advertising and marketing. It's all <laughs> over my Facebook. I'm actually, on the, oh yeah. I've been away for a couple of weeks. So I'd, yeah. <laughs> let's yeah. See. By the way, how was Thailand? You versus, that's not you. I actually <laughs> just Googled it. But it does say you're in new releases, which is good. Who is uh, Patience Hurlbert Lawton? That's not she you. The, no, she's our director of marketing. So there's three authors on it. There's Patience, who wrote the book. Okay. There's John Moran. And Patience, to write the book, watched all of his videos, all of our internal training videos, all the YouTube videos. Right. And then I wrote the title, which is how I got my name on the book. That's Which I good. think is that most people only read the title, Ralph. I think I'm probably the most important participant in that process. You're definitely the most well-read on the entire book. Because when you read the, like, you read the book, you read the title. You don't even read who it's by. Right. So technically, people are reading your stuff more than the guys who actually know what they're doing, like John Moran. Exactly and, right. Yeah. So yeah. Lawrence, Patience Hurlbert. I've never met Patience, actually. She got poached. She doesn't even work for me anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah, she went. Dude, she's brilliant. She's amazing. She's uh, she's working for Hawk SEM, a competitor, mm -hmm. friendly competitor. And she was my director of marketing for, gosh, five, six years. And she just outgrew me. I'm like really brilliant human. But that poor girl, I threw so much just, I'm like random ideas at her. And she could just, she could do anything. She was unbelievable. Directors yeah. Before, right. Yeah, she, dude, she wrote the definitive guide to Google Ads without knowing how to run Google Ads. And she just did it by watching everything John ever said. Yeah, that's pretty good. 
That's pretty good. I think there's no worse job in the world than being like the director of marketing for a marketing company where the CEO is actually a marketing person. So mm. when I feel bad for our VP of marketing almost every day because I'm constantly like all over his shit. But Tom, if you're listening, he does a great job though. So yeah, he loves it. It's actually, you, it's a lot of fun. How can you not be involved? I know Ryan Dice says, I don't do any of our marketing. It's like, bull crap. Like you got to get involved at some point. Here's why he says that because the bar's too high. That's true. The bar's too high. When you're a digital marketer, your marketing has to be spot on. So he, it's a brilliant strategic move for him to be like, nope, not involved in that at all. You can't hold my feet to the fire. Because if you're going to teach it and then not do what you teach, you need to have an excuse. Yeah. Yeah. He says well, he's just off the org chart now, which is, which is a nice way to explain things as you yeah, scale that's and grow. That's a nice way of saying I'm rich now. That's right. That's right. That's what we're talking about here today is how to actually how to get, get off your own org chart by right. scaling so much that you use the law of inverse profitability to be tremendously wealthy so you can be like Ryan Dice and just write yourself off the org chart. So we're going to get into that right after this quick break. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me, and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. We are back. Today, we're going to be talking about how much you can pay to acquire a customer, but really more about how you can accept lower profitability for your business, but make more money as you scale. So one of the real big concepts of this is that I think I originally heard from, I think it was Jay Abraham way back when. This was actually cool. We did like an in-person, in-session thing with him and a buddy of yours, Jason Flatland and Joe Polish. And I got the chance to meet Jay Abraham and hang out with him. We talked about this a lot. Did you know that there are three ways to grow a business, Kasim? Sell more stuff. Yep. Sell to more people. Yep. What's the third? Sell, sell more, which is basically sell to more people. Okay. 
get them to buy more when they buy. That's what I meant when I said sell more stuff. So like sell more stuff to the same people, sell to more people. Yep. And then the third one is to get the same people to come back and buy more. That's a little bit of a crowbar similarity to sell more stuff, but I understand, I understand why you would need to make the distinction. So I'm not going to fight Jay Abraham on that one. So you can acquire more customers, right? right. Which is number one. Like, all right, I have a thousand customers, you know, that a lifetime value I figured out is, and we'll leave links in the show notes on how to do all this. Cause we're not going to get into all the math here. Cause today's a relatively short episode, but let's say that the lifetime value of your customer base is $2,000, like over the long haul. Like for example, like the lifetime value of a customer at Starbucks is, I think it's like $14,700 or something crazy like that. Dude, I spend that a day. Yeah. Yeah. Just on coffee alone. Man, hair care products really for you. Yeah. $14,000 a day. No, that, those I make my own. Ah, okay. Yeah. In the lab. Viscous roots in my backyard. Downstairs. Grind um, them into small powder. We'll do a whole episode on it. That's great. <laughs> Great. You are like out in the desert Southwest. So you probably have a, I don't know, like a breaking bad lab in your basement or something like that. But anyway, so there's really the, there's that there's acquire more customers, which we talk about a lot, like customer acquisition, like that's a big deal. But when they actually buy, can you get them to buy more when they actually do purchase? And how many times are you going to be able to get them back to buy again? So, so it's CAC, AOV, LTV. In essence, yes. Hmm. So, would you like to explain those three acronyms for yeah, us? CAC, CAC, cost to acquire customer, uh, which is one of the most important data points that a business can have, and nobody knows their CAC. Right. Uh, and I'm not, you know, I'm not throwing grenades. I have a hard time calculating our CAC sometimes just because everything gets so convoluted. Yeah. AOV, average order value. This is one of the deal breakers for small, spend e commerce campaigns because even if they can make money long-term, they don't liquidate fast enough. And so it's almost like they're borrowing money from themselves and they can't bridge the gap. And then LTV is lifetime value of a customer. And that again is one of the most important data points. And really, if you take CAC and LTV, that's your profitability ratio. What's it cost me to acquire a customer and how much do I make from that customer Mm long-term? And as long as the first number is lower than the second number, I'm in business. Yep. Yeah. And I think a lot of businesses don't go through this sort of basic math. And like I said, we're not going to get into all the specifics here, but we'll leave links in the show notes for two episodes we've done on this prior, because this is so important. It's basically what's your average order value, and then you minus all your costs, and then you take out your desired profitability. And then what's left over is what you can pay to afford or afford to pay at the maximum value to acquire a customer. Or if you accept zero profitability, hey, I'm going to break even. I'm going to try and outbid my competitors because we're talking about paid traffic here primarily, right? Or it could be your overall marketing expense. That's another Mm. thing that a lot of people miss is that they look at, all right, what's my sales and marketing expense or just my ad spend? It's actually your entire marketing department. Yeah. What's the salary of your director of marketing? You know what I mean? What's it cost for you to keep the lights on and the application that you're paying for in order to run these things? People never factor those into. I love when agencies return ROAS numbers and I'm like, how come your fee's not in there, bro? I'm like, how come we're not talking ROI? We're talking ROAS. Yeah. We just had a recent customer who's like, all right, we're going to spend $600,000 per month on paid media. And we want to factor it like that's our budget. And we want this like moderate, like they understand their numbers. This is one of the rare ones where they're like, we know what we can afford to pay to acquire a customer because we understand what the lifetime value is. 
And a lot of people say LTV is lifetime value or long-term value. I prefer a lifetime. I think that's really more of like the marketing standard, but you could say long-term value to a certain degree. Yeah, I, yeah. I would fight to the death to make it lifetime value. I wouldn't accept long-term value from anybody because now it's subjective. And what does that mean? You're just going to move True. the goal line on me. But one of the things about LTV is like, what time frame are you using? Like when we're trying to figure out, okay, what is your LTV? What can you pay to acquire a customer with your desired profitability in the mix? A lot of businesses don't really know what the time frame is for that LTV. They might look at three months, six months, 12 months, maybe five years if they That's have enough of a That's why I like lifetime trust. versus long-term because right. lifetime, what's nice about lifetime is, especially for small businesses, new businesses, I should say, the lifetime value grows as the business ages because you have your strongest retained clients that continue to add to the lifetime value. And so what that means is on a long enough timeline, you end up being able to pay more for customers. In theory, yeah. You should be able to do the best way to do this. And like I said, we've got a couple of different episodes here where we go through this in a lot of detail is look at just to pick a time frame. If you've never done this before, go back a year figure out what your sales were for last year, figure out how many unique customers you have that bought from you in that year. And I think that's a good place to start, at least. Because I think that's more than a lot of businesses actually do. I agree. So, but so I, can I make this conversation more complex, Ralph? Because this, this is a fun topic. This is a fun and, topic. And it, don't go too complex now. I won't go too complex, but I'm just going to ask a question. And here's where I struggle. Let's say that you have a three-month sales cycle. So I know that when I spend a dollar, I drop somebody in the top of my funnel. And between the time when I've spent that dollar, it takes about three months to nurture them down from the top of the funnel to the bottom of the funnel, get them on the phone with my sales team, do the proposal and the dance and the song, whatever, kiss, hug, make up, we're married. Bam, three months. When I'm calculating my cash out, my costs, shouldn't I be taking today's income and three months ago's expenses? Yeah. If but you people know, don't do that. If they you don't, know, right? they don't. But that's, that's where this gets really, and it, it's simple logic, but it, it's complex decision-making. It's extremely complex. I think you have to settle on a number that you're comfortable with that isn't precise and exact in a lot mm. of ways, especially if you're dealing with paid traffic, because that's so easily measurable. We're testing right now this idea of, really don't do much in the way of paid traffic, but just do organic social and see exactly what effect that has on our leads. So the best guinea pigs I've always found for us to test new theories is just test it out on ourselves yep. and just figure out, okay, is there really something to this? What we're finding is that it's not quite, all right, we're saving money on ad spend, right? Our salaries and everything else that goes into our marketing department, which is part of your marketing expense, selling general administrative, like there's an M in there, which is marketing, and it's not necessarily all just ad spend. So, what we're actually finding is that some of the paid traffic that might not develop into leads is actually generating leads somewhere else. Just what we talked about, I think, two or three episodes ago, when you were talking about what you guys were doing on YouTube. Dude, it's 150 like, grand a month with zero mm -hmm. attribution. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Go back and listen to that episode if you didn't hear it, because it, it, it blows your mind. It's, it, and attribution is getting harder. So this conversation is even more important because your ability to see when somebody converts from paid traffic is going to continue to diminish. Yeah, yeah. So in that way, I think you have to get comfortable with a number. 
and know what that number is. Like for you, all right, let's say it's $150,000 in spend per month because you know you're going to get in the back end at 90x plus days because you know your cycle. Yeah. Safe to say. My, my cost per acquisition on a customer is $2,500. My lifetime value on a customer is about 24000 So we do pretty well there. But as to the point that you're making, those are old numbers, actually. Now that we're scaling up, CAC is going up. LTV seems to be going down. So this is actually a perfect example of what we want to talk about here, inverse profitability. It's like you guys have enjoyed good profitability and now you are spending and scaling. Let's just say, we don't want to talk about Solutions 8 specific numbers, but let's just say you're at a 40% or like a 30% net operating income. Dude, that's about exactly where we were, 30 to 40%. Okay. Yeah. So let's say you're a $4 million company. We're not going to talk about like your numbers specifically, yeah. but let's say you're about that. Let's say you're at a 30% net operating income. No. I don't, I don't think we're there anymore, by the way. I think we were there and then we exploded in this, this growth. Is my, this start, yeah. This is my away. point. This is my point. The law of inverse profitability states, and this is an issue that we have with customers who come on board. They're like, I can't scale anymore because I still want that 30% net or they don't tell us, which even worse so, oh, dude, I just I won't work with them. I don't want to tell you guys like what I'm yeah. making. You don't like, want to tell your bus driver where you're going? Like, <laughs> me? Seriously. Yeah, it's like, just hit the gas. Up, just get on the Waze app and just take me somewhere. Right. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah, whatever. Like, where are you going, man? Oh, I don't know. Like, Waze is just going to take me somewhere. That's what's happening when you're being <laughs> that way with your, yeah, let's just guess. So I want to go across town, but I'm not really sure where. Just, I'm just right. going to let Waze take me there. No, you need to know what the goal is. Be transparent. If you're working with an agency, if you're working with an internal marketing department, it's okay to talk about these sorts of numbers. It's like, it's not going to kill you. It was so funny. We were at a client meeting about a month and a half ago, and we went through this like step-by-step, literally five, six hours. And they kept not wanting to give us their profitability. I'm like, guys, just tell me for Christ's sake. It's like, it's not going to raise fees on you today. Like, just tell me what it is so we can actually be on the same page. We eventually did. I don't think he was completely transparent. The they point, patted the hell out of him. The point is like we beat it out of him. My point is this. So if you're a $4 million business, let's just use this hypothetically. And you're making 30% net. Okay. You are making about 1.2 million like after everything. Right. Mm. That could be salaries, it could be owner distributions, whatever it happens to be. Like, that's pretty profitable. That's more profitable than Apple, right? Apple is 24, 25%, which is pretty right. good net operating Dude, income. So I, th- when you said that, that shocked me that Apple does 20%. I'd have guessed sub 10. I mean, they have premium price products. Yeah, you know? but it, I mean, like the Apple stores, the Geek Squad thing they do, all the support. I know they're not yeah. Geek Squad. Who are they? The nerd uh, table. That's Best Buy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But Apple has their own version. I just they figured do. that the overhead would be so high. I'm actually really impressed with 24%. Yeah. Real estate and all that sort of stuff. It's shrunk over time. It's shrunk over time. It used to be in the 40s. Yeah. This is exactly what they figured out. It's like, all right, if I can actually double down on scale, then I can accept a lower net operating income. So in my little example here, so let's say you're at 30% net for a $4 million business. Let's say you grow that. Let's say you double it, okay? And you get to $8 million in revenue. That's pretty good. 30% net is going to be harder to come by right. as you scale, especially if you're using paid traffic. It's going to be harder for you to achieve it. Have you ever seen a case where you've taken a business 
or a customer of Solutions 8 where you've doubled their ad spend and doubled their business and their profitability remains exactly the same or it, it actually widens, all things being equal? I don't think it's possible. Right? Unless like I, you fundamentally change the offer or going back to Jay Abraham's thing, get them to buy more when they're buying, potentially. Yeah, there's an optimization opportunity there. And when you spend more, maybe you can optimize more. But all other things being equal, that's like Adam Smith 101 market demand. As you spend more, you it's self-imposed inflation is the way to think about it. Yeah. You actually increase the cost of traffic yourself. It's true. Every time you spend a dollar you are also the market spending one more dollar on an audience. True. And as you scale and grow, and this is exactly what happened to this particular customer, is that when they first came out seven, eight years ago, six, yeah, about seven, eight years ago, there was basically no competition. So they had literally 60, 70% net operating income. I'm not exactly sure what it was because they won't tell us, but let's say it's 50%. But now they're like, well, there's all these competitors that came into the market and traffic costs are so much more. And now we still want those old net profitability numbers from five, six, seven years ago. I'm like, it's just not possible. It's not going to happen because traffic costs have increased. And primarily they're using paid traffic, paid social in order to scale and grow as well as YouTube and Google and a lot of the other social channels. But So we're managing all that. But the point is, as you scale, you're going to make less as a percentage but mm. the beauty is that if you can accept a lower percentage, let's say you get from 4 million to 8 million, okay? And you say, okay, 30% net, those are bygone, that's a bygone era. Right. But I've doubled now in my sales to 8 million. Let's say I'm going to accept 25% net operating. $2 million. It's $2 million. So you're now making 40%, if my math is correctly, more in actual dollars by accepting right. a lower net profitability goal, if that makes sense. So 30% at 4 million is 1.2 million. 8 million, you're doubling, okay? You're now making 2 million. So you're making $800,000 more. That's pretty good. But the point is you're not living by yesterday's rules. You're actually living by today's rules. And I think this is the standard that people have said, like, they come to us all the time. Oh, Facebook has did so well for us three, four years ago. Our CPA was 50 bucks. I'm like, that's great. Those days are gone. Yeah. You know, it's just not going to happen anymore because traffic costs are more. You have more competition. You have more stupid advertisers that are on the platform that are just going to push, push all the prices up. So you have to look at things as you scale. You have to actually start to, to look at your internal metrics differently. So let's take that example out further on this law of inverse profitability, which is, all right, now let's say you're at 8 million, you're at 25% net, you're making 2 million, okay, in net operating income, pretty good. Let's say you grow by another 50%. Let's say you grow up to 12 million. But now, like, all right, if I could only get to 25% net, that would be great. But chances are you won't. So you're going right. to have to add more to your cost to acquire a customer. Okay, because traffic costs are going to be more. So it's going to decrease your profitability. So you have to be able to set a lower goal. Let's say in this example, that goal is 20%. 2.4 million. So now you no longer have a profitable business at 2 million, at 8 million. You now have increased it by another 20%. Now you're actually making more in real dollars at 2.4 million, which is 
the whole idea behind this, and you can take this all the way out to doubling, tripling, quadrupling your revenue. Depending on your infrastructure, you could get to a point of delineating returns where you're actually making less money when you do more. And I think that generally speaks to a scale problem. I've been there. Mm -hmm. yep. I've, made, I've taken home less money when I was making more in gross revenue, and it's because my business model was flawed. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't mean that you've hit this glass ceiling and you need to stop. It means I need to go look at what am I doing wrong from a fulfillment perspective. Because if I'm taking more money in, I'm obviously doing something incorrectly if I'm making less money than I did. Yeah, chances are if that is the case, then you have some kind of cost issue internally inside the business. Right. And there's either a systems issue, there's a people issue, there might be an accountability chart or like a, an org chart issue. And you really need, what I find is that as a CEO is more like on the visionary side, it's like what you really need in cases like this is somebody who can dissect it all and pull out the inefficiencies, like mm -hmm. an integrator, a true COO can do, which is... Yeah, how are you looking at all your systems? And do you have duplicate processes that are overlapping or things that are actually redundant that are costing you money or time wasters if you're in the service industry? You're probably experiencing this right now as you guys are scaling and growing. It's like your systems start to break. So you actually have to look at that and say, well, how can I restructure myself? Maybe it's not you who does it. Maybe it's somebody who has a different sort of mindset as far as systems operability, how to actually put things together as opposed to just having the vision. And I think that's where things get a little bit more complex, especially in a service-based business. Because when it was you and two or three people, it was simple. Now it's you and a hundred people, right? So the systems are more complex. There's probably things that need to get revised or revamped to make them more efficient. And as a result of that, that should help you with your profitability. But the point is, is, as a business and as you grow, you should be able to accept a lower net operating as you scale and grow through paid advertising, at the very least, all things being equal. Mm. And that's the law of inverse profitability here is, is really understanding your numbers. And a $10 million business is very different than a $1 million business. A $1 million business at a 40% net is making 400000 but a $10 million business at a 20% is making $2 million. So I, I find that business owners really have a challenge understanding this, wrapping their head around it. Thoughts? I did. I couldn't agree more. I think there's this horrible chasm that exists. And you actually nailed it just then, Ralph, in that one to 10. Because when, right when you get to about a million dollars, that's when, and forgive me if I'm about to lob a grenade, I don't mean to say this in a way that would hurt anybody's feelings, but that's when it becomes a real business in my mind. True. Before a million dollars gross revenue, it's like you're a freelance sewn together, whatever it is that you're doing, but a million dollars gross revenue, you're a real business. But 400,000 you, you're saying, right? Not 4 million. Sorry? 400,000, like the, in the 100,000 range. I just mean, if you get to a million dollar gross revenue, mm -hmm. that to me signals quote unquote real business. You sold a million dollars a year. Yeah. But between a million and five, my experience, it's, it's this horrible position where you're actually better off staying at a million unless you know for a fact you can get to five. Right. Because two, three, and four are going to cost you so much because you now have to build the infrastructure for a $5 million business, but you're still only making one, two, or $3 million. And it was a nightmare for us. It was like this, this bowed bridge to where I'm like, dude, why am I doing this? I was putting a million, when I was making a million bucks, I was putting half in my pocket. Yeah. And now everything's going out to all these people and these systems and these softwares I have to pay for and per user pricing and all this crap. But then you get to five and you're like, oh, now I do less, I make more. And there's those bows 
throughout. There's other thresholds. We haven't gotten quite to 10 million yet, but it feels like we're that same era again mm. from five to 10 is another one of those you know, friction fraught growth periods. And I don't think that those ever stop. You just have to continue to solve the problem at hand. I once heard the three to 10 par I think it's called a three to 10 paradox. It's about the Rakuten CEO or founder. It's basically, in essence, he says, every time you triple in, in growth, everything breaks. Right. And like, you have to reinvent it. And that one to 5 million range, there's a lot of stuff that breaks. Oh, dude, it all breaks. Your business <laughs> at one breaks. doesn't exist anymore when you get to five. It's a totally Absolutely. different enterprise. It's totally different. And then five to 10, like at least at five, you all of a sudden have an understanding of what you're doing. Like from a complexity standpoint, it's no longer a lifestyle business. Like at one million, yeah, it's like a legit business. I totally agree there. And that's not to disparage anybody who's sub a million because you They're still have a happier people business. than we are, Ralph. They <laughs> probably are because things are simpler. But right. you're probably doing a lot as an entrepreneur, but probably making more if you're pricing yourself accordingly. But the point is every stage of your growth, like that one to three to five to 10 to 25 to 100 million, each stage has its own levels of complexity. And as you scale and grow, your net operating income cannot stay the same as it was when it was at a million. Right. That's my point. And that's the law of inverse profitability. And if we can just accept that and wrap our heads around it, I think people will be able to leverage paid traffic and ramp up their marketing a little bit easier, but actually by making a little bit more money in real dollars, but less in percentage terms. Hashtag knowledge bomb. There you go. So we will leave all the links that we mentioned here in the show notes. And if you like this kind of content on perpetual traffic, this was one of our most downloaded episodes when we looked back on this, Kasim. When we looked much, at the data. How much we looked at the data, yes. Looking at the data as a business owner is a pretty good thing. You should probably do that, especially on the financial side. So if you like this kind of stuff, certainly let us know over at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash better. Let us know what we can do better over there. We're always looking for ways to improve Kaizen. Kasuma, 1% improvement every day. That's right. Just a little bit. Yep. Just a teeny bit. All of a sudden, you're on a completely different trajectory. So follow me over on LinkedIn where we talk about this stuff all the time. Kasim Aslam on Twitter. Like I said, go back and listen to previous episodes and all resources and show notes are at perpetualtraffic.com. On behalf of my awesome co-host, Kasim Aslam. Peace. Until next show. See ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic, 